Welcome to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillian Newbell. And today we actually have a very serious topic, one that I imagine many people are either wrestling with, dealing with, or know someone who does. And it's used to be a lot more taboo, and thankfully it's no longer taboo. And so I, I'm I'm looking forward to diving into this topic. So what is the topic? A Harvard and University of Queensland study showed that one out of every two people in the world will develop a mental health disorder in their lifetime, according to a large-scale study. And so there have been numerous studies on mental health today, ranging from anxiety and depression to ADHD and ticks and just a whole host of other things. And so I I want us to think through that. What is it that is is causing these things? The influx of social media may be the cause of some of this, especially in children. Maybe it's that we have more research now, so we're better able to identify it. Um, however, I'm not an expert. I wanted to pull in experts to help us as we think about this. January is National Mental Wellness Month. And so I've invited Tom Carroll to help us better understand and bring awareness of mental health disorders. We'll also talk about how the church can help bring wisdom and encouragement to people suffering from these illnesses, as well as to the people who love and care for them. Tom Carroll's passion has been to minister to those struggling with mental illness, and he has done so for over 30 years. He is a psychologist who has an outpatient counseling practice at Pine Rest Campus Clinic in Grand Rapids, Michigan. At Pine Rest, he is also involved in faith community outreach. He is an elder at Redeemer, um, Redeemer Free Reformed Church. He's also the co-author of A Christian's Guide to Mental Illness, Answers to 30 Common Questions, which is co-authored by David Murray. So let's get started. Thanks for joining me, Tom. It is my privilege to talk with you today. Yes. You know, I I think we need, um, I wonder if we need to define mental illness before we dive into it. And so what would be your definition and is it the the label that we should use well i think it's always very difficult to define that and so how david and i have uh, defined that is uh, it's a health crisis uh, and that there is an illness not a physical illness like uh, you may have a cold or a sore throat but uh, there is a problem in uh, how a person thinks how a person feels and how they're be able to relate to others around them well how do you think that um, a more holistic view of the person helps us better understand mental illness? Well, that's oh, thank you for that. Uh, one of the things that uh, we believe very firmly in that God has created us as whole beings. Uh, and so that we may have many different aspects to our being and made in the image of God, uh, but none of them are distinct or separated from uh, one another. Uh, one aspect does impact uh, every other aspect of our being. Mm. 
okay, so if we know that that, that this is this is something that we experience that why is there often a stigma regarding mental illness even in the church well i think that probably there you know there's an awful lot of misinformation that has been floated around for many years and a combination whether of misinformation or a lack of information uh, many times we tend to fear the things that we don't know about. Yeah. Uh, I think in traditionally uh, talking about very personal things has been rather taboo. And so uh, many of the uh, struggles, inner struggles that we may have as human beings, uh, people tended to keep very uh, much quiet uh, and as a result uh, suffered alone. Uh, and suffered uh, without people, other people really knowing, uh, without permission uh, for people to be able to talk about it, uh, it just seemed to uh, grow and to uh, worsen uh, without intervention. Yeah, so people are ashamed, maybe, or they feel like they are alone, so they do not talk about it. And I wonder, do you think that there's also, you you talked about misinformation, so I'd like to dive into that. Um, but I also Absolutely. wonder- Yes. But I also wonder about people who don't understand themselves. They don't know what's going on. And and if you don't seek help, then 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 you're not going to know what is happening. So do you think that that just exasperates it? It certainly does. Uh, now, you just mentioned uh, the shame factor, and I think that's something I've worked very hard and uh, continue to work with just about everyone that comes across my doorstep. Uh, that is, uh, if somebody comes with a cut on their finger or a broken arm, broken leg, uh, somehow that is external or it's not necessarily a reflection on them. Uh, but there is a misperception that if I have a uh, problem with uh, my brain chemistry or with my emotions, somehow that's a personal reflection. Uh, or in some cases, people see that almost as their identity. Yeah. Um, people may have a broken leg, uh, but they say, I am mentally ill or I am depressed. And we try to uncouple that to say, no, you have a depressive illness. You know, okay, you've, we've got about three different things happening that I want to dive into. So I, we're going to go back to the misinformation, but this identity piece is really important. And so what do you think happens when we separate those things and, or when we don't? Well, when we, um, let me say, maybe rephrase the question. I was yeah, busy, uh, okay, so here. oh no, <laughs> that's funny. So, so when we often, when we, you, you said, you said that it's not that you, I, you, I think you said are I am depressed. Depressed are depressed. Yeah, right. You, you aren't, you aren't depressed. You have depressive, and then you, you can fill in the blanks. Yes. So, what happens when we uh, put on that identity? as the, whatever it is that that we have i i'll tell you this um i have two teenagers and that generation it, they're pretty consistently saying that they are something like they have some sort of 
some something and it, and it everyone's labeling themselves so what was taboo for us is just no longer now it's 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 almost and i want to be very careful um but not a trophy but a lot of people just say that they have that something whatever it is and so that identity piece is really important and it sticks out to me because I hear it so often. So how do you, how do you uncouple that? And how do we encourage other people to talk about mental illness in a way that is a little bit um, healthier? Right. Well, two pieces that come to mind. First of all, when we identify or, you know, make some of these characteristics, our identity, uh, there is a certain stuckness that goes along with that, yes. particularly when somebody talks about mental illness or anxiety or bipolar disorder, whatever the label might be. Uh, a person feels stuck and there is a certain sense of, I don't know that there's any hope for anything different. This is the way I am and this is the way I'm going to be. Uh, when it comes to positively, uh, particularly when we're dealing with uh, fellow Christian believers, people that are in Christ, uh, and that is your identity. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything is being made new. Uh, and so primarily we look at, yes, you are a Christian. Uh, but then we also want to look at what kind of gifts, talents, abilities has God blessed you with, that raw material that uh, we want to help them develop and to uh, utilize to serve the body of Christ. Yes, yes. Okay, we are running out of time for this segment, so I don't want to go deeply into it, but I do want us to touch very briefly on men on misinformation, because I do think that that is what informs a lot of the way that we not only respond, but believe things about ourselves. So what is some of that misinformation? Well, probably one of the first things that comes to mind, as I just mentioned, is that uh, it's, it's a hopeless situation, that uh, I'm stuck, I'm in a hole, I can't get out. The second thing that comes to mind is if I have a mental illness, uh, somehow I'm fundamentally broken or mm. and, uh, I hate to use the term, but I've heard it so often that somehow I'm uh, crazy or uh, irrational. And again, mm. somehow my mind is not going to work properly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the idea of broken kind of became a uh, a lot Badge of people of call honor. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so I was like, well, how do you, that's just really interesting because I, so let's think through, okay, what would you say is a better way of, of if, if saying you're broken is is a, a misinformation, what would you say instead? Well, we have, uh, we have an illness that is treatable and that is manageable. Uh, there are some obviously illnesses that uh, uh, may not necessarily go away. We may use the example of uh, diabetes. Um, yeah. I think probably for most people, once they have this, uh, they, they need to make life altering changes and those are going to follow them through their life. Right. Um, and we treat uh, depression, anxiety in much the same way. 
Uh, it is manageable. It is treatable. Uh, it does not need to define who you are, nor does it need to limit uh, uh, who you are or what you're able to accomplish. You know, I cannot really actually believe this, but I think this is the first time I've ever heard this. <laughs> I don't. I, isn't that ridiculous? I just think, goodness, how much misinformation? I'm pretty informed too. How much misinformation have I listened to and believed? I mean, I, I just to hear you. It's so um, gently and pastorally, and obviously with your clinical um, expertise as well. Say, this is treatable. What hope? And I don't know. I have a lot of hope for all sorts of things. And I hope that those who are listening who um, also have struggled has hope to more when we return. I'm Trillia Newbell, and you are listening to Living by Faith. And I, I don't know if you're, if you've been listening to the whole thing or if you just jumped in, but let me tell you, we are talking about mental health and mental illness. And it's rare that I come into this conversation and leave with a ton of hope. (laughs) And we've only been talking for 13 minutes. Tom, thank you so much. I'm talking with Tom Carroll and, and I just, I really, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm actually shocked that I haven't heard such hopeful messages in this, um, conversation before. So, so I'd love to have you encourage a Christian struggling with confusion and fear as they process a loved one's diagnosis. I know that for me personally, that um, is a very personal experience that I had with one of my extended relatives, and it was very difficult. It was difficult for me to understand, and I, 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 I so struggled. But, oh, did it! I want to serve and love well. I failed miserably, but I, I wanted to. And so how would you encourage a Christian who's confused and fearful to process someone else's diagnosis? Well, I think certainly all of us uh, created by God have this uh, protector instinct as well as the fear uh, response. And so when it comes to the fear response, uh, we have uh, this part of our brain that's going to respond when we're threatened by some sort of danger. So uh, truly, if you and I are walking in the woods uh, near my home and a tiger jumps out from behind a tree, uh, we're going to have this fear response. We're both going to have surges of adrenaline. Uh, Our amygdala and limbic system is going to want to take over and to somehow either run away from or uh, combat, fight the tiger. So uh, we somehow... Yeah, that's not going to happen. I just want you to know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to fight the tiger. Well, I'm probably going to drop dead right there with a heart attack. <laughs> but Carol, well, actually, you, you're much younger than I am. And so you're going to remember I'm old and you just have to outrun Tom, not the tiger. There you go. There you go. 
Oh, but seriously. Uh, but when it comes to any kind of threat, we want to protect our loved ones. And uh, if it's, uh, you know, uh, a mental illness, uh, we generally want to protect them. And we see this as right. a threat. And so many times, again, not knowing what to do or what the threat is or how to combat it, we uh, easily go into that fight or flight kind of response. Uh, at that point, we're not thinking logically, we're not processing or planning strategically uh, as to, so we have a problem on our hands and let's better define this and uh, look for what is our plan of attack? What is our right. uh, plan moving forward to uh, address this in a, in a reasonable and in a kind, compassionate way? Yeah, I remember when I first experienced one of my loved ones who was struggling with something, I felt angry. And it was it was so gosh, I repented of that, but I did. And I you so I'd like to talk about that. So it, mine wasn't fear, but I was angry. I was angry not I was angry at the person. I was kind of like snap out of it. That's how I that's how I responded so so um wasn't very compassionate or caring when I first, well, it wasn't the first time, but it was just not a helpful response. So how and do you, that, yeah, go ahead. That is a common response. Now, uh, I guess I'll uh, just say that many times fear or anger is what we might describe as a secondary emotion. It's the one that we use to uh, cover up what's really going on at the core of our being. Uh, so sometimes, again, we uh, may find ourselves angry. Uh, I don't know what to do, and so I'm going to throw a lot of adrenaline sort of energy at this problem and hoping to uh, scare it away or to somehow subdue it. Um, and I'm sure as you've uh, dealt with maybe somebody that's uh, really in the depths of uh, depression, uh, yes. there's just no energy and uh, the anger, you know, usually serves uh, to uh, scare them further into their shell, much like, a, again, a scared turtle uh, just mm. goes underground and uh, shuts down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I can attest to that, that seeing my frustration only made this person withdraw until obviously um, there was a lot of communication and the Lord is a redeeming God who mends and cares for. And so could you actually give some um, encouragement to the Christian who's blown it? They, they, they did not handle a diagnosis well of their loved one. How, how might they go back or what can they do now or how can they ask the Lord for forgiveness? What can they do? Well, and one of the things that uh, I guess two parts to that answer, uh, kind of a phrase that I've used, I'm not sure where I picked up, uh, but uh, a lot of times when uh, the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so when we don't have to, uh, those tools to help a loved one, well, we're just going to perhaps pound on it or confront it. Uh, so sometimes there is need to be some self-compassion on, you know, your own part to say, I really didn't understand. Um, and that's it. So there was no maliciousness on my part. Uh, now, the second part is, you know, just that humility 
uh, being right. able to admit, uh, I've done you wrong, uh, my brother or my sister, and um, asking for, you know, forgiveness. Uh, certainly, you know, we uh, seek the Lord together uh, for his wisdom, uh, not only for forgiveness, but also uh, for moving forward. Uh, you know, what are we, uh, again, looking for his wisdom in the situation? And we can certainly find that uh, through scriptures, but also in consulting with others that may be more knowledgeable, uh, more wise, have more experience in uh, these matters. Right, absolutely. And and do you, this is going to be an odd question because we just talked about how we need people. Um, we can't do this alone. So if there is someone who's struggling and do who do they talk to? Because there are some people who maybe, maybe it wouldn't serve the person to talk to? I, I'm not sure. So who who would you encourage people to talk to if they are struggling or they re, are recognizing in their own lives that there might be a battle with mental illness? Well, you want, hopefully, uh, we, you know, all of us are building our support system. And so being able to develop some of those close relationships and being able to define uh, who is it that I trust uh, who has, if you will, earned the right to hear, you know, some of my deepest struggles, my biggest fears. Um, so that may include, you know, hopefully your spouse, if uh, married, uh, family members, uh, hopefully uh, people within uh, their uh, church family, whether it be a pastor or pastoral elders. Uh, primary care physician is also many times kind of the back door into the, the system, if you will, of being able to re refer to a professional should that be uh, required. Yes, that, I think that's very helpful. And most of us um, who are Christians attend a church. And so how would you advise a pastor trying to minister to someone with mental illness in their local congregation? Well, and uh, in our congregation, uh, we uh, generally rely on the elders, not just the pastor. So in our uh, congregation, the elders are pastoral, uh, not administrative. And so uh, within a, a church, uh, hopefully there's a kind of a districting or, you know, kind of an assignment of who is my person, uh, you know, if I'm a congregant at a local congregation. Yeah, who is it that uh, is the, my go-to person? person uh, for my spiritual care, for my spiritual well-being. Um, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for pastors. Uh, many times they have to wear an awful lot of hats and dealing with uh, a great number of people. Um, sometimes, and uh, sadly, sometimes on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Uh, so as a pastor, making sure that uh, you're surrounded by uh, a, a good group of uh, elders and deacons, people that uh, uh, can support the ministry uh, physically, but also supporting the ministry much uh, like Moses was supported by uh, Aaron and her, you know, holding him up in, uh, in prayer. Yes. Um, I, I think it's important that we also talk about training for these pastoral yes. and deacon. Yeah. So, because I, I think, a lot of harm can happen if the, if you're not trained. So speak to that. 
Well, I think that uh, in my experience, a lot of pastors in their uh, pastoral uh, training, going to seminary, they may have maybe one, if maybe two courses uh, during their three or four years of uh, seminary. Uh, so uh, a lot of times pastors uh, do need to educate themselves on their own. Um, David and I had uh, a passion for uh, Christian leaders and lay people in, as well when we uh, wrote this book uh, to try to empower them uh, to have a guide as to know what uh, questions to ask. And when you're asking those questions, uh, how do we understand what some of those answers might be? Yeah, uh, the I, I second feel, part is, yes. yeah, making sure that you have a good connection with uh, resources in the community or within your greater uh, denomination. That's so incredibly important. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Tom Carroll, and the resource that he brought up um, is A Christian's Guide to Mental Illness, Answers to 30 Common Questions that he co-offered with David Murray. And I think that's so important that you're getting the training that you need and also finding resources in your community. I know that for my pastor, he has a list of different counselors that he can encourage our our um, church family to go to. I thought I just thought that was a wise, <laughs> a wise step. Have, have you? Would you encourage people to do the same? Absolutely. Uh, a couple. I think it was last week or the week before. I was uh, talking with another uh, pastor. And uh, we had to laugh because we brought up the word Rolodex, uh, both of oh, us. Oh, that is funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to get into the 21st century, but doing a poor job of it. Yes. Uh, but having all of those resources to say, who do I call? Who do I talk to? Who can support me and who can encourage me? Well, more when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I am your host, Trillia Newbell, and I am talking with Tom Carroll about mental illness. And before the break, we were talking about um, churches being equipped, specifically pastors being equipped. One of the things that people don't talk enough about that I think we I'd like to dive into is what about the mental health of the pastor themselves? How would you encourage a pastor you mentioned that they work maybe 70 hours a week or plus, and they wear a thousand hats and they're just tired. And over the last, I think since 2020, there has been an influx of pastors who are resigning and, and maybe for good reason, but maybe some are just tired. I would love for you to talk to the pastor who's listening, who's thinking, well, I myself am struggling how would you encourage him? Well, in regard to pastors, uh, I think that uh, I've had the question from many pastors, I'm struggling with depression. Does that disqualify me from ministry? And yeah. usually my answer surprises them. And I tell them, no, I think it is a better qualifying you for ministry because you understand 
the hurt, uh, the pain, the loneliness, uh, the disillusionment that all of us do experience from time to time. And so you're in a very unique position to be able to minister. Uh, now, having said that, many pastors having uh, struggles uh, with depression, anxiety, usually it's the body's warning that says you're overcommitted, uh, you're burning yourself out. You need to have other people ministering to you. Another way to put it, uh, a person can't continue to give if they aren't being refilled uh, by another. Absolutely, absolutely. So how can the church gather around and help people and show compassion for people suffering from mental illness? Earlier, I had mentioned that uh, dividing the, the congregation up into perhaps subgroups or a small group ministry, uh, being able to utilize those small group leaders, being able to uh, utilize perhaps pastoral elders that are regularly connecting with the members in their group or within their district, uh, as it were, keeping their finger on the pulse, not uh, just of their perhaps uh, spiritual needs, although that's uh, certainly needed, but also their physical needs. Uh, you know, how are people doing? And so hopefully that's one of the ways that the local congregation can uh, structure their ministry. But then there's also the making sure that you are availing yourself of the help that is available in the congregation. Um, there's a trend that a lot of times when people are feeling depressed, uh, they tend to isolate themselves. They're dropping out of Sunday school. They're dropping out of small group. Yeah. Uh, they're dropping out of worship services. And at that point, depriving themselves of the, the hope, the healing, the nurturing that's available in the local congregation. Well, what do we do if we find out that there is someone who is starting to isolate? So we know that this person is starting to withdraw. How, what kind of steps can we take to, to make sure that they know they're welcome and they can come back? Well, I think certainly, again, keeping a close eye as to if we notice people are uh, missing or if maybe even that uh, we notice that uh, they seem to be more quiet, more withdrawn, uh, giving people permission to be able to talk about what they're struggling with and to uh, and that, that there's a well, that there is that uh, warmness and that there isn't a, a taboo uh, in regard to talking about depression or anxiety, any form of mental illness. Uh, many times that can also be off the pulpit uh, as, uh, you know, perhaps uh, we pray for those that, that are uh, suffering with COVID or a broken arm or a surgery, but we also are praying for those that struggle with uh, depression. We're praying for those with bipolar or schizophrenia. Well, that's actually one of my questions is how can the church better pray for people? I know it's beyond the pulpit. It is. And so we certainly, you know, again, the pulpit, we can pray in general for folks or if there are specific needs brought uh, to the leadership team. Uh, but that also then comes hopefully in the small groups or in the adult Sunday school uh, that we are meeting together and uh, we are praying together as believers. Uh, so having a church community, having people uh, come to you know, people's homes 
uh, and being able to really get to know people uh, for who they are, where they're living, uh, what they're struggling with, and also what are their gifts and how are we trying to utilize those gifts in the life of the congregation. I think one of the things, you've mentioned gifts and kind of the whole person, that they're made yes. in the image of God, that they're valuable. That um, I think that's really important that we don't isolate and that we are utilizing people and that we're encouraging them to be a part. Um, I think that's often why people feel that stigma is that they feel othered and so different, yes. so different. Yes. That they can't be a part. And that's just, it's, it's not true. Do you have any further thoughts about that? I think uh, that the earlier that we can get people plugged into their local church and having that mindset that everybody is valuable uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, so uh, thinking about, uh, you know, Paul's exhortation to uh, the Corinthians that uh, each part of the body takes care of the other part. Um, and so what we're trying to do is uh, identify gifts and uh, uh, value, if you will, celebrate those gifts. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, one young man that uh, is uh, had in my practice a number of months ago, really struggling with uh, his faith and where he could be used, uh, but uh, has autism and a few other disorders. Uh, but uh, he's able, he doesn't speak very much, but he was able to pass out bulletins and smile at people as they came in. That's uh, perfect. Yeah. And people miss him and reach out to him if he's not there. That's, that, is, that is awesome. And it's, it's important. I think it's so important because the church has many parts. We're a body of many parts, and we need each one of them. Um, and we need each one of them to be a part in s serving and um we're all important. I think that's something we can forget. And I love that your church has been intentional about that. How can the church help caregivers? So the person who is caring for the person with mental illness of whatever that for the, there's a range, right? Um, which I do want to talk yes. about as well. But but how can the church help come alongside? Well, I think we emphasize that uh, everybody does have a part, uh, but also to recognize that uh, not everybody is uh, going to be having the same amount of uh, gifts in helping the mental, uh, mentally ill person or the person with a mental illness. Uh, so permission, first of all, or encouragement to just jump in. Uh, sometimes the uh, most uh, painful thing is silence uh, for the person that's suffering. And so uh, we're, many times we're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing. However, in uh, probably the bigger danger is to say nothing. And so being able to uh, just simply giving uh, some warm encouragement to someone, uh, asking them how they're doing, uh, recognizing that... Uh, if I know that there's something wrong, I'm going to use my gifts as much as I can, but knowing that there's others that also can step in if I'm in over my head. Yeah, and, and I guess if you're caring for caregivers with thing, practical things like 
hey, do you ever need someone to bring you food or uh, or yes. help clean? I mean, I, I just think that those kind of practical things will also be helpful that sometimes we kind of want to withdraw or we think that um, we have to have answers. And when we don't have all the answers, there's other ways that we can serve and they will feel loved. Absolutely. And so I think that's just the, uh, hopefully, and again, in the body, we are creating a community of those that are just willing to wash people's feet. Um, as uh, an elder at our congregation, I uh, tend to keep very busy. Uh, but I've had uh, people in our congregation reach out to me and saying, I know you're really busy. How can I come alongside of you? How can I help? Um, one young man just uh, texted me about a week ago and said, um, how can I pray for you? I don't know That's how much awesome. I can physically help, but specifically, what are you struggling with? How do I uh, do that uh, intercessory prayer on your behalf? That is encouraging. I love it when people reach out to me and ask me just simply, how can I be praying for you? More with Living by Faith when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillian Newbell, and I have been talking with Tom Carroll about mental illness and how the church can come alongside those who are suffering and struggling and for caregivers. And one of the things that I, I mentioned before we uh, were on the break was that every, the, mental illness is kind of a big label. And, and so it, it encompasses quite a bit of things. So how do you approach various topics? So what are some of the common mental illnesses that you are seeing in, in the church or in, in the culture? And because I think we would approach them differently, right? Absolutely. Um, I guess uh, mental illness about as varied as uh, physical uh, illnesses. So right. uh, it's a broad uh, umbrella term that uh, doesn't necessarily give us a lot of information other than to say, yeah, something's seriously wrong and we need to uh, administer help, uh, hope and healing uh, with this situation uh, with this individual. Well, okay, so let's get specific. If there is, um, and I know that you are a counselor, so I am not um, asking you to counsel on the air. <laughs> but <No. laughs> if, <laughs> but I do wonder, what are you seeing in the local church? What can we be looking for? Because one of the things that you did say about people in the local church is that we need to have people available and ready and and know mm -hmm. each other. But what are we even looking for? We don't we don't really know. And of course, we want to be very careful. What I'm not saying is that we start labeling and diagnosing people. That's not what I'm saying. But if we know that someone is struggling with certain things, um, I don't know if we always know what to look for. So what are some things that you are seeing in the local church? 
Well, I think probably the local church is going to be uh, the same as what uh, my office looks like, and that is what kind of people are coming through the door, people with what kind of issue. Uh, most common is some kind of anxiety disorder, whether that be a generalized anxiety uh, or an adjustment disorder kind of anxiety. In other words, it's a reactive anxiety to a problem or situation a person has in their life. Uh, maybe social anxiety, could be some kind of phobia, uh, some kind of trauma. Uh, that is probably number one. And uh, number two is probably the one that gets the most attention, and that would be a major depression. I think certainly all of us have experienced perhaps a case of the blues, something that lasts maybe a day or two or a couple of days, and then we're feeling better. But uh, when we're talking about a major depression, uh, it's much too much sadness that has gone on much too long. Uh, generally, we're looking at if it's been going on for more than uh, two weeks, uh, it's piquing our attention and we're certainly wanting to pay attention to say, mm, we need to take a closer look. We need to start really rallying around this person uh, to try to give them uh, support and uh, recognizing that help is available. Okay, so you would say that depression is probably the leading what you're attention what you're getter attention <laughs> it is the attention getter it's the one that we talk about the most is there one that that we don't that maybe we should be aware of and talking about more well i don't know uh certainly uh bipolar disorder uh is one that uh, perhaps is less recognized but it's certainly out there a uh, person that has uh, the mood swings, so both uh, the extreme lows, but also extreme highs. Um, and by the way, uh, most people when they're, if they have a bipolar disorder, uh, they're not coming for help when they're on a manic phase, uh, but usually when they're in the depressive phase. Uh, so being open to not necessarily judging what the person is struggling with, but just recognizing, hey, there's something going on uh, with this brother or this sister, and uh, how can we uh, move in? How do we take a closer look? And uh, how do we then put them in touch with uh, the person that maybe can give them more help? How do I, as uh, their brother or sister, just give them some uh, words of comfort or encouragement? Yes. And so I think another taboo that we didn't talk about, or I, and again, I don't know if it's taboo anymore, is thinking through medicine. When ought we encourage that? Now, of course, I don't think we should, a doctor should, but what is your, what are your views on um or how how the church can respond to those who are um, on medicine or taking medicine? Well, I think certainly God has uh, blessed us with uh, science uh, to better understand how our bodies, our brains, and our brain chemistry works. Certainly with medication, it's under you know the uh, supervision of either a family doctor or a psychiatrist. Uh, that they have done some sort of evaluation to say, is uh, the condition going to benefit from uh, this or that medication? Uh, the way that I think about medication is 
uh, it can be helpful to um, assist people in uh, working through uh, some mental illness. So uh, pills, they don't give skills. And so right. we do need the counseling and being able to make uh, the thinking changes, uh, the feeling changes, the behavioral changes. Uh, but sometimes being able to talk and being able to cathart, being able to uh, reason their way through a mental illness uh, may be enough. But in uh, my experience, a lot of times medication uh, like a good pair of basketball shoes is going to give them uh, the support and the grip, the traction to be able to move towards uh, some better mental health. Yes. Well, I'm so grateful for that and grateful for your um, your wisdom there. You have talked about your resource, A Christian's Guide to Mental Illness, what other resources might you encourage people to look up or explore? Well, uh, I think one of the things that we are blessed with is just an awful lot of uh, good Christian literature from a variety of authors uh, that may speak to uh, counseling and how do we counsel or how do we understand this problem or that problem. Uh, so look being able to look at uh, their local Christian bookstore or online Christian bookstore uh, to look for some of those resources. Um, additionally, I think there's an awful lot of uh, education uh, that can be had, again, online uh, for most uh, people that may have their regular professions, their regular uh, commitments. Uh, that uh, people uh, can uh, be able to uh, even earn a degree uh, in uh, some sort of uh, ministry. Uh, how do we, again, better minister to those that are hurting? Yes. Well, I, I think for the local pastor who's looking for resources, is there anything that you might point them to? Maybe look at their, their local, um, their community, anything? Uh, well, hopefully, uh, you know, when a pastor, uh, you know, takes a, a call to, you know, a new congregation, uh, they are able to connect with the, uh, uh, perhaps the former pastor, what resources uh, did he have, uh, but then also, you know, being able to, you know, look in the, con in the local uh, community, uh, making yeah. some of those phone calls, those emails. Uh, to interview, just to sit down with uh, a couple of individuals so they have that, if you will, go-to guy uh, or go-to uh, lady uh, that they can rely on if there arises a, a difficulty. So um, earlier uh, you had introduced me. I'm part of the Faith Outreach Committee. Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to remember if it's a committee or uh, but at Pine Rest. And so there are several of us that are, if you will, um, on the hotline that says, if you have uh, a, a, a problem, uh, pastor, hey, talk to Tom, uh, talk to Mark, uh, talk to Doug. Uh, we can uh, put you in touch with uh, people uh, that uh, are gonna be able to uh, provide good service, uh, trusted service uh, for the person that's in need. So community matters. And I think that community matters for not 
just those who are struggling, but also those who need help. I'd like to thank my guest, Tom Carroll, for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind the scenes team at Moody Radio, Karen Hendren, my producer, and my engineer, Bob Moreau. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at livingbyfaithradio.org or on the Moody Radio app. You'll also may find us all over social media. Living by Faith is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.